In today's bonus episode, join us as real estate heavyweights have a chance to go some extra rounds into this week's topic. Hey everyone, I am back with Rachel Real. Hey Rachel. Hey, how are you? Great, and she's in the western suburbs of Chicago, and it's her. She's the broker owner of Rachel Real Realty. Is that what you call it? That's that works. Love it. All right. Well, the reason why I'm excited to have you on is because you are a broker, and we have been talking about do we really still need brokerages and kind of everything around that. So, what do you think? I think I don't think the current system works. If you look at everything, and if you look at brokerage as a whole, brokerages as a whole, they have different priorities. Their yeah. priorities generally don't include mentorship of agents. Their priorities and their goal is, then their sole focus is how many agents can I recruit every month to pay my monthly fees and contribute to the split. Right. So every managing broker position, at least where I'm at, with the exception of very few, their only focus is numbers, 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 get the bodies in the door, get the bodies in the door. Their focus isn't on education mentorship or ethics in the real estate business. I agree with you. I think that they pretend that they care about education. Absolutely. But I think that education is very general and I don't think we live in like there, while there are like a lot of general overriding things that are in real estate, right? Like we have our contract, we have like, here's how you schedule a showing, right? But like everybody learns at, well, I think actually now that we're talking about this, this is like education as a whole, right? Like even like pub, like school, like public school and private school doesn't work either. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's, there's a lot of holes in the, the, the real estate business is, is full of it's Swiss cheese. There's holes everywhere. Yeah. And I think that'd be a better way to go about sharing it so that you have agents that I think the part of the problem is everybody looks at this business and goes, oh, it's so easy to get into real estate. I'll just go spend two, two, three months, get my license and I can go do it. I don't need college education. I don't need any of this. I can just jump in. I don't need to do an apprenticeship like a a tradesperson does or even an appraiser. An appraiser would go an apprenticeship before they can go out and do their appraisals. Mm -hmm. Um, So so real estate is completely different in that way. And I think because of that, you have a very low bar of entry and you Mm -hmm. have people that just think, I'm going to just do this on the side. And it doesn't matter. I don't, because it's not my full-time job, I don't have to learn it and I don't care to learn it. And right. It's, or it's, that it's, I mean, and truly it's not really the, the duties of it are not difficult. What's right. difficult is running a business and dealing with people. Correct. And that's, I think the skills that are needed to like, we also do need to do a better job. I mean, even in most of the schools, they're only teaching you like the tests. They're not teaching you how to open a lockbox. They're not teaching you. They don't even really read the contract most of the time. Your statewide test covers the state. And you, have different, yeah. you have different forms in Chicago and a different board in Chicago than you do in the suburbs. And we're 20 minutes away. That's crazy. So do you think though, so if there was going to be an apprenticeship, you would still have to have some sort of standardization of the education system, which we're saying is actually the problem. Right. I almost think that a, a good starting point would be for, for the local board to, to vet out and, and secure a certain number of agents that could serve as mentors and they could mm-hmm. serve in the, in the capacity. They've proven that they've, they've learned the business. They've got more than two years in. I mean, in Illinois, you need to have a license for two years before you can go either sponsor yourself like I do or start your own brokerage and hire agents. And at that point, you're, you're overseeing other people. And in some cases, 200 to 400 agents. And you've got two years of experience, maybe doing two, two or three deals a year. 
Yeah, that's you not know, enough. You don't know anything. And no. You just don't. And for, I've been doing this for almost 15 years now, full time. And I still learn something on every single transaction. Yeah, I learn how crazy people are. But well, that too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think in our state, it's like 20 or 30 transactions. But it's it's not very many. Like, I take 20 or 30 over two years of maybe two or three transactions, though, any day. I mean, That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough thing. So even if you had, like, let's say they were able to secure mentors, but those mentors would also have to have some type of teaching background or get trained on how to teach and mentor people because not everybody can do it. Right. I think, yes, <laughs> you're, no, you're totally right. So I think having a program maybe through the local board that would, would do a workshop on how to, how to mentor an agent how to, how to teach somebody, how to bring somebody through a, through a transaction with you. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I think, and that's where teams kind of have somewhat of that component because right. a new agent jumping on a team, that's great. As long as that lead agent is teaching that, that, that new agent, how to do things and how to do them correctly. I've seen yeah. so many, so many teams where new agents come in, but the lead agent probably, you know, it, it runs a scary business. Yeah. And it, that's a little frightening. So then they're teaching somebody else how to also run a scary business. Right. No, I agree with you. That's a little frightening all all the way around. Right. It really is. But I think too, like learning, I mean, before they even maybe get licensed or part of the licensing should be how to run a business and maybe even be like a mini MBA course on like learning financials, profit and loss statements, learning, and also sales. Like this is how you sell. Right. And it's really more about selling yourself, not necessarily selling the property. I mean, you've got to learn how to how to deal with people in such a way that they're going to feel comfortable handing over that right. property to you. You know, they want to sell a $550,000 house. You need to make sure that you've given them some level of comfort, you know, in order for them to turn that over to you. Well, I mean, really, it doesn't even, I mean, to me, it doesn't matter if it's 550 or if it's 85. It's right. like, it, it's generally, it's their largest asset typically, right? Like, right. I mean, to me, the, my, my, my $95,000 short sale in a, in, in one location, it, those clients are getting the same service and the same, everything that the $550,000 house is getting. Well, and a lot of times the lower end ones take more time. They take they more effort. They take yes. more care. Yeah. I kind of like this idea. Okay. So our proposal, as I understand it so far <laughs> is at the, <laughs> All the way I wanted. <laughs> at the local board. And in addition to being able to pass the test, you still have to go through all those basic steps. You still got to get your license. You still have to join the board. But I wish yeah. there was something where you could kind of shift a little bit into something a little more structured where where the apprenticeship would come into place. Yeah, and I almost think that apprenticeship should happen. It should be part of receiving the license. Like, I don't know that you should receive the license and then like be able to go on your own, but I also don't want to waste a mentor's time if the people don't know how to run a business and they don't have sales experience. So like all that should happen before they get to the mentor. Right. Cause I guess if you think about it from like in a trades from a tradesperson perspective, you have an apprentice license and then you have a full license. Yeah. And usually there's like a couple of steps too. You have like a journeyman and whatever, but yeah, exactly. So that you're still working under somebody. The question becomes is who would that somebody be? So if it's not going to be a brokerage, who would that somebody be? So again, I guess that comes down to the, the individual managing broker or the, you know, the agent who would be the mentor. But then I wonder if, so if the criteria in most states is minimal to become a broker, yes, 
then, and I, I would bet that most of them are very minimal, then you don't actually get out of the program until you are a broker. Right. No, I would agree. Because then that is your business. Absolutely. And, and it, in Illinois, they just reduced the age. They used It used to be 21 to get a license. Now it's 18. Yeah. So, I mean, I can see both sides of that. I can see that, you know, they want to open up options for kids who may not find that a traditional college is the way to go. But on that, on the other hand, I, as a homeowner, I'm not sure I would want an 18 year old with no life experience in two months of a real estate class to handle my, my assets. No, <laughs> I mean, there's gotta be something. Yeah. But if like everybody came out, I mean, they would learn so much and maybe yes. that apprentice program, it is, it's two or three years, just exactly. like it is to get a broker's license. You can't right. get it right out of the gate. Right. Almost like you would be functioning like you were on a team with a really kick-ass mentor agent. Right. And then that mentor would get paid as a portion of the sales, but they also, the agents wouldn't be brand new. They would, they would maybe do deals under the brokerage of the local board. Right. As they learn. I don't know. How would that work logistically? And then would we end up paying more dues to like, we're paying dues right now. Usually to your brokerage you're splitting. Would that then just transfer over Right. That would be a logistical question as as to would the board want to take on the responsibility and the liability of, you know, acting as, as the, is that, that unit to do that or all under the, somebody like me as a sole proprietor, as a managing broker, would that fall under, that would probably still fall under that agent. I think maybe those lead agents then could sign up at the board under this program. Yeah. Almost, you know, self-manage to keep those dues down because you're doing it as a, on a voluntary basis. You're doing it as a voluntary basis, but you're getting paid when they, when they close. So you're almost like a lead agent on a team. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, but you're helping them build their business. So exactly. it's not like when they leave, they take the stuff that they built with them. Right. Those right. are some good thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you look at like, you know, any valid, I mean, and the board has lots of volunteer committees. I serve on a professional standards committee, uh-huh. um, a lawyer committee, but those, and those are all optional committees. So maybe you have something similar to that where it's, it's a, it's a workshop, it's a small group and those people get together and kind of structure something in that way. That's a good idea. So then, okay. So they come in, they want to get licensed. They go through a series of like aptitude tests perhaps. And then they, that they have to go through these classes at the board where they like practice, let's say they practice the for sale by owner script. And then they make like somebody, one of the mentors comes in, they're making the calls. And then the mentor, like if they set the appointment, then the mentor like goes with them or one of the mentors goes with them. And that's how the mentor gets reimbursed when that property signs and closes. But that listing maybe goes under the mentor. Right. Within our MLS allows spaces for two agent and two agents information. So you can have a lead agent and a secondary agent. Perfect. So, so they co-list perhaps. Right. And have, or have two buyer's agents, whatever it is. Or whatever the, it is. The only, right. The only challenge I see with that too is if that mentor agent is still running a business, you can only split yourself so many ways. So if I'm doing, I'm in the middle of the spring market and it's busy and crazy. And if yeah. I've got somebody, an apprentice under me, how many more ways can I split myself to go show houses to two different, if I've got clients that are looking on, on a Saturday afternoon, I can't split myself anymore. Yeah. But yeah. really those apprentices are showing. The, right. Yes. Yes. So what we've done in the past um, is like, I'll be on Zoom. Like yeah. say I'm, I'm doing something like, and I can't be there, right? Mm-hmm. Physically, but like I can be on Zoom. 
Right. And just be, be part of the conversation for a listing appointment, perhaps, or something right. when you're sitting down at the Starbucks and getting ready to write an offer with somebody, Hey, let me, let me zoom in my, my mentor and, or my, my broker, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, talk through the, talk through the contract, talk through the listing agreement, whatever it might be. Right. Whatever it is. Yeah. That's interesting. Actually, I think then the fees for the classes, like wherever they're taking the classes and paying the 16 or 18 or whatever, how much ever it is to take the class, those would then go up and shift to the board. Right. I mean, here to get a license, you can spend 350 bucks on a Groupon. Oh, that's it? That's it. I mean, if you wait for a Groupon, you can get a Groupon and take your take your licensing test and be on the road within for under 400 bucks. I mean, I feel like we can all agree what we don't need is a bunch more... <laughs> Agents. <laughs> no, I, well, that's, and that's the thing. It would raise the bar a little bit. I mean, yeah. we always go through these phases of, you know, as the market shifts and changes, you know, we, we always go through the, every, it's so easy. Everybody's getting into it. And then when the market starts to tank a little bit, people get out. It's survival of the fittest. It's been, we've, I've been through it a couple of times now. But and it could even be like a reimbursement too. Like if you do so many deals in a certain amount of time, you get reimbursed or whatever too. I mean, we don't right. want to alienate people like people can't afford it if they right. have the ability to do right. the work. Right. But at least in an apprenticeship program, you're, you're jumping in and able to start generating business right away. Mm-hmm. So then you truly are going to see too, whether or not somebody's got it got what it takes to be to, to go through this process and, and actually have a successful business. Well, and truly they're going to see it because that's right. the problem, right? It's, it's not that it's so it's easy. Be, I do it in my sleep, you know, right. <laughs> everybody's going to want to buy a house for me. <laughs> right. I'm just going to like put a billboard up or just tell right. people I'm an, I won't even tell them I'm an agent. They'll just know. <laughs> and then they'll, <laughs> yeah, it'll just happen. Right. Ooh. Mailbox money. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. That's really interesting. So I think I, I agree. I think we're on the same page. I agree with you. We don't, the way that brokerages are set up now, this, it seems as though something needs to change that unless, I mean, I guess it depends on what is their goal. You know, like we are coming at it with the assumption that the goal of the brokerage is to build great agents, but maybe that's not the goal. I don't think that's their goal. I mean, like everything else, they're in it to make money. Well, that's dumb. And I get it. But I think you can also make money by having really good, ethical, responsible, successful, well-educated agents. It's only going to, you're only going to make more money. You're going to make more ultimately. The quantity of people that you have. Why do you need 400 people if 25 produce? Do I want the liability of the other 375? Absolutely not. No. I mean, no, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't. No. I don't want the life, which is why I'm not a broker. <laughs> exactly. I mean, is, honestly, you have the, the biggest, when you look at the professional standards hearings and then just acting as a broker over the last handful of years, you have the, the middle doesn't generally tend to be a lot of much of a problem. You have the experienced agents who think I can just do whatever. It doesn't matter. I know better. Yeah. Then they get themselves in trouble or you yeah. have the new people that really truly don't even know what the code of ethics is and have never heard of it. And right. that's why they're in a hearing. So that middle ground doesn't tend to be a, too much of a problem. It's the, right. it's the extremes on either end. Well, and the liability would shift onto the person because now they are the broker and it's their right. own business. I think we're onto something. Right. It now feels- we just got to change the government. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, that. <laughs> when you run for president of real estate of the world, <laughs> I will vote for you. Thank you. Yeah, I have no, no, no plans for that. <laughs> 
this like, is awesome. I, I, I do love getting involved at the board though, because you really see a whole lot of the stuff that you would never see otherwise. And it's, it's really interesting. It sounds interesting. And I think like, I just got involved in a committee. I would say like before I, I was like kind of repelled by being on there, Yeah. but I understand that that was like my own perspective and really getting involved is how you enact change. Right. I think. So I got on the, um, government, the government one. Government affairs. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. we'll see how you know, that what works. I find is it, what I find almost more, the most frightening, as you said, on these hearings, and I've been on that for about five years now, is how, I mean, we've had hearings where the managing broker didn't show up because they just didn't care. Oh. So you have agents that are in trouble and sitting in these hearings because they've done something outside of license law or the code of ethics. And the managing broker either gave them no guidance, poor guidance, or just didn't even, didn't even participate. Yeah. So that wow. Goes to, that, that's, that's a great example of their focus. They're, they're just making their cold calls, trying to get more bodies into the office. Which right. doesn't, yeah, that's very frustrating. And I think it's a distraction from what we're really trying to do, which I, I, my assumption is that we are here to help the public in the biggest asset and transferring that asset. Exactly. So if that's what we're working towards, then our managers should also be committed to that goal as well. Absolutely. Your, your, your goal as an agent should be the goal of your managing broker. And I mean, that's how goals work in like every business except for real estate. Exactly. It's almost like we're like the outlier, like way over here that nobody knows what to do with us. We're like a herd of 800 cats and no one knows what to do. <laughs> That's because we're all pretty crazy, actually. I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> like on the mental stability spectrum, like, all of us. <laughs> Well, that's really cool. I'm excited to launch this, these interviews and kind of get people's reaction to this and see if we can work together to, yeah. to do better and make it better. Yeah. Well, and I think it would, it would do nothing but A, help the consumer and B, help us to have a better reputation within the community. Everybody, hundred I mean, we all know how the, we're, we're one step up from a used car salesman. Right. We need to get rid of that. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Thank you for coming on again. It was lovely. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. I'm here with Jason Northcutt. Hey, Jason. Hey, how are you today? Great. And he is the owner of uh, North Realty Group out of McKinney, Texas. Yes, ma'am. Yes. And almost a broker, but not quite there yet. No. So Texas, just they require a, a buttload of hours, which is good, good because they want to make certain that you're well-educated doesn't mean that you're smart, but at least educated. So. Yeah, you know all the rules anyway. <laughs> exactly. Look, as a broker, you just have to be like, you can't do that. Pretty much. <laughs> then you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if, if I need something, I call my broker, which is about maybe once a month. That's about it. So nice. Every time I call mine, he's like, are we going to jail? No, we're not going to jail. There's no Usually real. I call mine because I'm I'm contemplating filing a complaint on somebody. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Well, I thought it would be good to have you on just because you are the an owner of the company and you're about to be the broker. And we were talking about brokerages. Do we yes, need no. them? Do, like, are they being used as intended? Or Like, what are your thoughts? You know, that's a tough subject because it's kind of like saying, do we need a Wendy's? Do we need a McDonald's? Do we need a fast food chain or a retail chain, right? Right. And instead of having just one big open warehouse where you get everybody just whatever. So yes, I think we do need a broker, but on a, a brokerage, let's rephrase that, a brokerage. Okay. Um, I think we do need the brokerage, but I think the brokerage model is broken. Okay. And that's why you see a lot of these companies coming out. 
with more agent centric versus franchise centric, if that makes sense. I and mean, it's my opinion, but. It does make sense. So like in a perfect world, what do you think, how should it be redesigned? What you should know, stay, what should go, or should we just start over? I, I can't say we should start over because obviously that's where our history is, right? We yeah. we've learned from it. We've grown from it. We've moved forward. We're introducing new technology. I think what happens though, the reason why we have compasses, we have EXP, we have uh, on the broker side, and then we also have the iBuyer buyer programs mm-hmm. that are gaining traction is because so many brokers and brokerages are stuck in 1985 or 1990s. Right. You know, that what worked then does not work now. So if you think about the advent of the internet and the MLS, MLS sheets weren't three ring binders, right? Right. The brokerage had that information. You could not get that information from anywhere else. Yeah. Well, guess what happened? Netscape. Yeah. Well, Explorer, Firefox, Internet. Yeah. And from just from, say, early 2000s, just till heck, when I left the mortgage business in, well, I left the mortgage business 16, but I went through the crash. So I want to say it was like six, seven is when the MLS books were still being printed out, even though the Internet was there. It just wasn't widely used. It wasn't being pushed out. And then as we've grown, I think a lot of people are, were behind the curve as agents, yeah. as brokers, brokerage owners, you know, brick and mortars. They were behind the curve on the internet saying, oh, whatever. Oh, whatever. Well, guess what? It's 2020. Yeah. it's Well, that seems like how everything is, right? Like, they're like, oh, Zillow won't be a big deal. And now it's like a big deal. Oh, iBars won't be a big deal. Now it's a big deal. Like, come on, man. Well, I think <clears throat> the old um, ostrich head in the sand, they just want to ignore the situation and hope it and, goes uh, away. And hope it goes away. I mean, you really think about it, um, the shift, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's 2020. And, you know, I have a, I was I started with Keller Williams. Mad respect for Keller Williams, Gary Keller, all of them. Even he said in 2016, 17, there is a shift happening. Yeah. Like, oh no, there's no shift. Oh no, there's no shift. Yeah, there's a shift. Yeah. So, what <laughs> you do you know? think? How should they be built? Like in your head, what's the difference between the agent agent centric and like the new agent centric brokerages? Like, what's I different? I think. You know, a lot of companies are starting to say they are. In my opinion, agent centric is it is about the agents. It's not about me. Mm-hmm. It's about helping the agents really grow their business and understand real estate. Real, whether you're a realtor or a real estate agent, I don't care. If you're a member of NAR, you're not a member. It's how do you do your job, right? Okay. Right. And our job isn't just contracts. It isn't just looking something on MLS. It's you're a psychiatrist, <laughs> a psychologist. <laughs> You're their therapist. I know they're all wrapped in one. We can't get medication, right? But hey, we, you know, here's maybe we should. I know. Here's some <laughs> alcohol. Have a good day, right? <laughs> We're multifaceted. You have to be able to match your clients. So you have to be able to help someone go, hey, can you see your couch being here? So you're not mm-hmm. showing out 30, 40, 50 homes. Well, what happens in most real estate companies, like, okay, get your license. Have a good day. Here's a contract. Have a good day. Go bye. Right. Bye. Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's no psychology behind I hate to say sales technique, but the sales part of it, right? The, how do you connect with the client? How do you connect with the seller? Well, most people don't have sales experience. And you can teach it to a certain degree. I mean, you either have it or you don't, but when you don't necessarily don't have it, as long as you can talk to a rock or, well, I should say, as long as you talk to anybody, which we're in Texas, we talk to anybody. Right. (laughs) You, you can teach those little bits and pieces. Like, you know, I was like saying, you know, when you go show a house and you go, well, here's the living room, here's the kitchen. Here's mm-hmm. a bedroom. It's more mm-hmm. of, hey, here's the kitchen. 
where can you see your couch being? Where do you mm -hmm. envision your TV? Where do you mm -hmm. envision your kitchen table? Where do you, you want them to feel like they're there in the house. You want, and that's stuff that I think we should be teaching. But on the flip but how, side, what's the standard of that? Like, so you're saying that each brokerage, I mean, I would argue that I think that most brokerages would say that they have an education program. They don't. Even KW, <laughs> I mean, I know I'm, that. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. Again, love KW. I mean, I grew up in KW. I learned a tremendous amount from KW. But the majority of their training is done by third parties like title companies, survey companies, and other companies. Mm -hmm. KW or Century 21 or Compass, or, they're not physically coming up with their own training material. They're mm -hmm. using third-party entities to do the training, right? Mm -hmm. So, which goes back to what you said. How do you standardize it? I don't think there's really a standard. Sales can't be taught to a certain degree, right? Right. There's no true standard. There's there's the Tom Ferry way. There's the Mike Ferry way. There's the Barino way. There's uh, Cardone. There's, yeah. you know, there's all sorts of different. But the thing is, is you want to be able to take pieces of that, but teach people how to interact with people. That's what I mean by that. That's the, like a, do you think that's an individual level or do you think that's like a group thing? Both. I think role-playing is a big key and a lot of brokerages don't do that. It's, yeah. it's helping them get comfortable with who they are and what they're saying and what they're doing. Right. Again, contracts are contracts. You need to know how to fill out a contract, right? Two plus mm -hmm. two equals four. And explain it. Yeah. And how to explain it and go through it. That's that. Those are a must. As a broker, as a broker and a broker owner and owner, you have to be able to teach those people. You have to fill this out correctly. Yeah. I don't want to get sued. Neither right. do you. Right. But you take that out of the equation. Oops. Then where do you go? It's how do you interact with people? How do you socialize with them? What do you say? What don't you say? It's going through the buyer, you know, consultation. It's going through the listing consultation. But that's and like a lot of manpower. No. So please. No. I mean, you can, I mean, if you did, yes and no. Okay, I, okay. I, I will give you, I will concede 50-50 on that one. All right, 50-50. Okay, because let, let's just put it this way. Never Most, split the difference, Jason. Well, you know, come <laughs> on now. We're, everything's negotiable, right? You want 100, <laughs> she wants 200, hey, 150, hey, we're good, there right? You go, there you go. So, you know, it's just back and forth. But um, if you were to look at some of the training calendars out there, like, hey, this is how you set up your social media. Hey, right. Every, okay, great. Yeah. But you can you have all these dumb classes. I can't say dumb. Let me rephrase that. Classes silly. That, They're silly. Silly to a certain degree, where you really want to get in the classes where you have the nuts and bolts, like the so, content, like that you want exactly. to like get through all the fluff and like what do I actually do? What do I say? Right. And yeah. actually, one of my old KW offices did that for a while. Mm -hmm. and they kind of did away with that, where you'd have a panel of some of the top people in the business and within KW. Okay, let's go through some role playing. Let's go through some scripts. What are you saying? What aren't you saying? But anyways, so that's one piece of it, right? Yeah. Being agent centric. But agent centric is also meaning you're truly there for your agents. Yeah. You're not there to recruit. You're not there to, well, not be there. But um, how would you say in business as a brokerage if you didn't recruit agents? Well, I'm not saying you don't. Okay. Because you have to, right? If, you know, for us, we're still new. We're in our first year. If you are still a brokerage. Right. Yeah. You know, you want to grow, right? You want to go, you want to have that growth. But I always equate it to this. Do you want a hundred people in growth and only 20% produce? Or would you rather have 20 people that all produce? I mean, I know which one I would training. pick, but yeah. I know which one that most brokerages pick by looking exactly. at their list. It's a numbers game. And we yeah. know that. And I think that comes down to being agent centric of you're helping to develop, train and motivate your staff, your agents, 
mm-hmm. uh, to be better, to not be okay with two or three deals a month. I mean, a, a year. Sorry, I do like that many a month. But anyways, uh, <laughs> we if you look at our average, I think if you average it out over the four years, I average, I can't do math today, three a month. So I've done over I've done over 140 transactions in four years, mm-hmm. you know, of being of just being an agent. Okay. And the reason why is because I I listen to podcasts. I'm reading all the time. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to be better at what I do. But anyways, that digresses. Being agent citric, you have to put your agents first, not your profit first. Right. I know. And at the same time, if you have no profit, then you don't have a brokerage. Exactly. And so it is a fine sort a fine line that we have to walk. Mm-hmm. Right. It's yes, I need to make money. I need to be profitable because I want to take a step out of this role of producing all the time mm-hmm. and developing the staff. Uh, I say staff, I, agents is what I mean mm-hmm. to uh, realtors. You have to be able to have that profit, right. but you can't lose sight of the agents. And I think that's where a lot of these larger franchises lose the fact of you would not be where you're at without, without the, agents. the agents. Right. And you know, I had a broker that lives in Chile full time. I'm in Texas. If I need you, why aren't you here? You can't tell me you know what the market's like. You don't know what the day-to-day life is because you don't even live in the damn country. Mm-hmm. Or you're so big to where you're a broker who's overseeing a thousand agents. How is that fair to those agents that truly need that help? Well, then you pass it on to the team leaders. Well, the team leader's job is to recruit. Right. And so now the team leader's asking other people who aren't getting paid. To take an hour out of their time every day to train. Right. And so that's what I mean by I think in order to be that agent citric, you have to realize your agents come first, period. But what if you had, okay, I'm on the no brokerage team. Okay. Okay. So what if you had like a, the school was where they learned how to be an agent, like the day-to-day parts of how to be an agent, reading right. the contract, how to sell and how to run their own business. So then, and they do deals inside of there, like inside of that school or whatever, mm-hmm. but they're not allowed to do it on their own. It's like an apprenticeship or whatever. Yeah. They have to be matched with agents and it doesn't matter the brokerage because there are no brokerages. Right. And then when you come out of there, after you do it, like a broker's license, you do a certain number of education hours, you do a certain number of deals and it's a certain amount of time, right? That's right. where your brokers. After mm-hmm. these three conditions are met, then you are the brokerage. Right. What do you think and- about that? Actually, you make a very valid point. I think the individual can be the brokerage, right? Absolutely, they can. But you so, are. You're about to right, be. Right. So when I was with Keller Williams, we're North Realty Group. I've always branded. It was, actually went from North Real Estate Group to North Realty Group when Texas got their head out of their ass and said, we can use realty in our team. Anyways, so I've always <laughs> branded North and Group at one point. Yeah. Well, when when I left one of my own, people go, oh, I never realized you worked for KW. <laughs> Right. I mean, that's the thing. And that's how most a ton of teams are now. Like we're team synergy. We've been team synergy since 2000 in some form since 2008. And it's like, they have, most people have no idea what brokerage we're at because it really doesn't matter. And it doesn't. And and actually, you know, people say, oh, numbers are numbers. You can make the numbers how you want them. But NAR came out with their report from last year. Um, it came uh-huh. out. I, I'll send you, if you don't have it, I'll send you a copy. I don't have it. Yeah, I'll take it. 2% of the consumers care about who you work for. Two. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. They That's really don't. That's why I'm saying we don't need them. Um, but I think I... I feel like I need to get I, an, I, uh, somebody on here. 
The only reason I can think that we may need them, if there's some kind of pulling power from a brokerage that we couldn't do alone, like. But there are, there are some cases where you can, where your KW, which is Go Financial, right? So KW Go Financial here is I think number four for the whole nation last year, right? It's a, but they own multiple, multiple, multiple franchises under the umbrella. Okay. Well, when you have that big of a franchise or footprint, you can go to the vendors and say, hey, can we work out a deal? Because mm-hmm. we're this, how big we are. Mm-hmm. And you can negotiate terms and contracts to a certain degree, but there's not a, I mean, a, but even then that's just an if and or but. And then know? maybe that, maybe that's, if we do continue with that kind of like buying power, maybe it's not the brokerage that needs to change. Maybe it's how they get paid. So like, no, I agree. yeah. Maybe that's the actual issue. Not like, do we need them? Do we not? But what do they do for us? And how should that be compensated? Because I think we can all agree that like the, the education can be raised higher and it can also be done at it by somebody else. Right. It doesn't have to be at the brokerage. You, you do raise a good point. I mean, what is the true need of nature of a brokerage, right? Yeah. Well, that the old way brokerages were is you, you get your broker's license and you go build a building or you rent a building or you lease a building and then right. you have more. Right. Well, we've started to see over the advent of internet and technology, you can have 300 agents at your brick and mortar and maybe 20 show up every day. Maybe. Right. So why are you paying all this money? Well, right? and there so are you can see a sign on the it. Right. doesn't matter. And we're paying. So, so, so someone can drive by and say, oh, hey, there's... Oh, hey, right. Who was that again? I don't remember. They don't know. know. So I don't know. I can kind of concede a little bit on that one. I think that uh, there's so much misinformation about there, really. Yeah. Um, So I'll use this as an example. So all the brokerages, oh, I I advertised, you know, because we're so big, I can advertise to 90 different websites. Hi, I'm North Realty Group, and I advertise the exact same way. It's called (laughs) Right. It's called List Hub. Right. I don't, it's not anything special because you're a franchise. It's called List Hub, period. So anybody who's listening, it's called List. Yeah. Everybody has access to it. Well, now, and then I would argue, too, that I wonder if we were all individual brokerages and we mm-hmm. all were trained with these same, like, 900 hours, X number, you know, 50 transactions, five years, whatever it is, right? Would then I think that that we as agents would be more powerful because we're business owners and we're helping the client achieve their greatest goal, which is to sell or buy their largest asset generally, right? So we're right. trained in doing that. Then we would use each other and the MLS or whatever conglomerate, we would use it more effectively, reducing the need for Zillow, Trulia. I mean, what? I don't know if it would or not. I kind of feel like it would. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, I go back to what I said earlier. I mean, you know, what if we did away with all the retail establishments, fast foods and all that, then you just have a room full of something to go get from you don't know who. As agents, I think- Is that true? Explain that example a little more. I think I'm not- Okay. So how many different places can you get buy shoes at, right? So I love shoes. I have about 30 something pairs of shoes. So You do? Oh my God, I have four. So I joke, (laughs) I used to be that typical guy that was brown, black, tennis shoes, flip-flops. That's it, right? Yeah. So then I got married. Well, I've been married a couple times. But anyways, my, my oh. wife now, uh, she bought, I, I don't know how it happened. I got a couple extra pairs. And next thing you know, I'm up to 30 something pairs. Wow. Uh, That's now, so many. I, well, you know, I mean, I have, 
I don't know, like five pairs of Vans. I have, you know, four different pairs of uh, ankle size, you know, the ankle boots. I have four, five pairs of tennis shoes. And then just dress shoes of different colors, different design. Anyways, yeah. So, okay. so let's use, so do you guys have DSW where you're at, Designer Shoe Warehouse? Yeah. Okay. So you have DSW. But I can go buy shoes there. I can go mm-hmm. buy shoes at Target. I can go buy shoes at Walmart. I can go mm-hmm. buy shoes at Nordstrom's. You can buy shoes anywhere, right? Right. Imagine you did away with all the name brands of places you can buy them, and now you just have one warehouse. You walk in, and there's your shoes. Then there's huh. no competition, right? But that's like, I mean, but that is the MLS. True. Without now, for sale by owners. Without for sale by owners. And then if you take out the management piece of it, the, the back end, who's going to monitor it, make sure it's safeguarded, all that. The MLS. that's where, well, the, come on. MLS. I mean, well, that, then that's the they other issue. They can barely issue. get addresses correct, right? I mean, <laughs> I get in arguments daily with our MLS about, hey, it's not that. It's supposed to be this. I'm like, really? Here's a tax roll. Okay, thanks. You know, I mean, it's the MLS. Let's just call it what it is. I think you have to have some sort of control to a certain degree. I just don't think it has to be like it is now or the mm-hmm. way it was. Right. I think you have to be able to adapt. You understand that the agent, it's the agent's. Right. That build your business. Not right. You, right. I am the broker. I'm the owner. Yes. Obviously I'm building the business because I'm the owner. Right. But I can't build that business without those agents. And we want those agents to have that freedom. We want them to understand. You don't have to call me. If, if you're talking to a seller that's in a bind, you don't have to call to ask permit permission, which I used to have to do. Yeah. Or get chewed out. <laughs> not oh. chewed out. I'd get, I'd get a lecture of, you know, you're not supposed to be doing that. Right. Right. It's my business, not yours. Right. Um, that's what I mean by <clears throat> being that agent Citric. I think we still need, I don't think we need the brick and mortar per se, but I do think we need to have some sort of, lack of better words, management on the back end. Yes, we have the MLS, but outside the MLS, then who do we go to if we're all wrong? If we're I got all you, but I would say that we would come out more prepared. Yeah, but I see what you're I mean, saying. Like you still need like the accountability on the back end. And that's a really interesting thought. Like I'm going to have to marinate on this, but I, I see what you're saying. And how does that work? Well, if you think, so think about it this way. So I'm just, I don't even know how many agents there are. I mean, but wait a second. Do you actually need accountability on the back end? Because how many businesses right now don't have it? Exactly. So that's where I was going at. So you kind of read my mind a little bit. So think about it this way. You Uh-oh, need, gotta be careful. I know. Done. <laughs> so you, myself, and the teams that are successful, right? The people yeah. that have, you know, whether you've been doing this one year or 20 years, but you're in, in hey, I'm not trying to be mean when I say you're only doing three or four years deals a year. Hey, that's great. My, I, you may have been doing that for 20 years, but in the four years I've done this, trust me, I know more than you do mm-hmm. because we've experienced so many different transactions, so mm-hmm. many different personalities, so many issues, hurdles. Well, we're talking about the back end. Yes, yes, thank you. Yeah. We're, we hold ourselves accountable, right? right? We're that entrepreneur. We're the ones that understand that. I wake up every single freaking day unemployed and broke ass. And if it's not, if I don't perform daily, then I'm broke. I'm unemployed. I wake up the next morning. I'm broke. I'm unemployed. Right. It's that entrepreneurship mentality of this is a business I'm growing, not because of the income value, but the, the, what I can build now for, and for the future for sustainability. Right. Well, the majority of agents, you know, as well as I do. Don't know how to do that. No, they can be taught how, but majority of them don't care. But see, I think we should. There are certain sets of things that we should know before we're even allowed to deal with the public. Like, 
this is a business. This is your business. And whether you decide to keep it just solely you or grow it or have a big team or, or whatever it is, it is a business. And it, yep. I believe that it should be run like a business because I think that's where we got derailed as a profession. No, we did 100%. So, and again, I go back to if you're part-time, if this is something you do on the side, hey, that's wonderful. It's cool. It's great. I get it. You know, you may have a full-time job. You may not have to. But the thing is, is you have to realize that it's still a business. It's not a hobby, right? Well, sometimes the part-time agents are almost better because they have limited time and they exactly. focus and they get it done. Right. So, you know, <laughs> it depends about- on who you are, though. Each no, person agree. is, yeah. So I pretty much work Monday through Friday, eight to five, six-ish. Uh-huh. I go home. I don't work weekends. Right. I will take calls from clients if I need to. Sure. Um, they know they can call, text, whatever they need. They're here. I'm here for them. But I'm not physically out there trying to prospect in the evenings or the weekends. I don't mm-hmm. work with buyers. When I do work with buyers, the referrals or they're from the, the on the seller side. Mm-hmm. I think we're, I want to say close to 90, 10, 90% listings, 10% buyers for That's me great. personally. Yeah. Because it frees up a little bit of time for me. Oh, but, for sure. You can do three or four listings in the time it takes to do a buyer. Right. Especially it's, these days with multiple offers and losing and all this yep. crap. But that goes back to your time point. I can cram more in an eight-hour day than most full-time agents can do in a week, right? That's because cause they, they don't can, understand how to run a business. Exactly. And that goes to your point about the part-timer, right? So I'm not picking on part-timers because I know a lot of part-timers that blow it out of the water yeah. because they can come in four hours, they can achieve more than then, most can in eight, right? Mm-hmm. So those are the exception to, but we go back to why the accountability is those that are coming into the business, they have to be held accountable. Yeah. They, they need that push that person to go, Hey, you know, I really, you know, what's, what's your big why, right? KW is about the why, which we mm-hmm. all should have our why. Why do we do this? And, you know, I publicly announced why, what, what my why was back in 16. I want to get my wife home where she can concentrate on her baking business. Well, mm-hmm. May of last year, she stay at home mom and Yay. she's working on her baking business, right? That's wonderful. But I had people that held me accountable to that. So that goes back to the- But it wasn't your brokerage. Huh? It wasn't your brokerage. No, it was me. It was all me. Right, of course. My That's brokerage what I'm had saying. nothing to do with it. Yeah, we but, would generate people that are self accountable, and I don't know we need it on the back end. Some people do need that accountability. They need to be able to say, "Hey, this is what my goal is," and by announcing it or having mm-hmm. someone to hold them accountable to that to push them, like a team leader um, or team owner, like you know, with center, with your team, mm-hmm. um, you're, you have agents that have, "Hey, these are our goals." Then you can go back to say, "Hey, why aren't you doing this?" Mm-hmm. You want to make X, Y, and Z. Well, if you want to make X, Y, and Z, get off your ass and do something about it. Right? Yeah. So that's where it's kind of, I go back way, way back to where I say, I can kind of agree with you mm-hmm. partially. That's because fine. I think, <laughs> I think you can't, I don't think we could ever get away from the brokerage model, yeah. but we can sure as hell transform that brokerage model. Yeah. There I think we all a, are in agreement that something should yeah. needs to happen for sure. There is no reason to go out and build a 3000 square foot office. Oh, 100% not. agree. And that's just, unless you know for a fact that you're going to have every single agent in that office at all times. Right. It's what's the happening. use of a three or 4,000 square foot building? There's no, I it's mean, ego. I mean, here in our market at, you know, you could probably find something at 25 a foot times 3,000. You know, you're looking at 62, you know, anywhere between six and $8,000 a month mm-hmm. just in lease space. Right. Why? For what reason? Exactly. For what reason? Now, I have an office, yes. My office is about 300 square foot. 
Mm-hmm. The agents, they can come in whenever they need to. I have a conference room they can come to, but mm-hmm. the office is mainly for me. I can't right. work at home. Yeah. My wife, we foster dogs. We have kids, the baking business. There's no way in hell I'd ever get anything done. It's too much. Yeah. So we come, I come to the office where I'm productive. So that's why I, I still kind of, yes, I can kind of see where you're coming from, but mm-hmm. I think we, we will need brokerages, but I think it has to morph. You know, EXP led that forefront years ago with going to the cloud base. Right. And as much as everybody wants to pick on them. It's kind of where it's going. Well, I think this, I think we're all agreeing that something needs to change. And I I definitely enjoy these conversations because it helps, it helps vet it out a little bit. And by these conversations, you know, we'll, we'll come with a good solution for sure. (laughs) We're just not quite there yet. (laughs) I think we, but I think we have to. We have to stop with the the haterade, you know. Yeah. I don't care if you drink red Kool Aid or blue Kool Aid or orange or it doesn't matter. Whatever the hell ever, it doesn't. Yeah, really matter. it doesn't matter. Now, of course, I will pick on you and I will say my opinions about things, and I'll pick. That's on okay. Yeah, that's no but problem. But the whole adage of you can't be successful unless you have X Y Z behind your name. That's, that's silly. It's just. It's or silly. The, well, you know, you're. You know, I had someone. Uh, so we do. Um, it's just, yeah, you just can't hate on each other. You know, you got to be, you have to understand everybody has their own place, right? Well, they and everybody own... operates how they operate inside of right. inside of wherever they're at. Like you will take your business up and move it somewhere else and you will not have changed because yep. you moved. Like you and will you know, still be you. That, that old cliche, you got to find your tribe, right? Yeah. And every, every office has, you know, everybody's going to find the right office for them. And what I was saying was, you know, I get, you know, people pick on the whole flat fee mark. You know, we don't do flat fee list flat fee, <laughs> flat fee listings, but we do a flat transaction base. We're hundred percent commission. Mm-hmm. You know, it's $500 per transaction. If you mm-hmm. double buy it, it's 750, blah, blah, blah. And people are like, well, how are you going to make a tons of profit? I'm like, because I keep my costs low. Yeah. I mean, that's how I, it works. I'm not, I don't need an 8,000 or 10,000 a month space. Right. No. You know, I'm. But what they're paying for when they come to your brokerage is training. Yes. Yeah. So with us, we do training. Obviously, we have all the technology. We use CR Interactive, CRM. You know, we have transaction management software. We provide uh, yard signs, lockboxes. Uh, we can do print, discounted printing. Um, you know. So I it's basically it like joining. A, it's like joining a higher level. Like how some teams are built today. I mean, I know teams are different, but like the idea of what teams are supposed to provide. Yeah. That's, yeah, and that's why I'm saying like. I mean, you, I know you technically are a brokerage, but like, I think that's how it would, that's what would happen. If we got rid of the brokerages, you would have these like little mini ones, which are basically teams. Yeah. Well, so it's, team a a it's a team ridge, basically. Yeah. You take the, you take the aspect of the brokerage, you take the aspect of the team, you marry the two together, right? Exactly. That's where it comes into that being, you know, uh, agent centric. No, you're right. I get you that. Know, our, you know, yeah. our motto is service first and we say, mm-hmm. Proudly, it's service first, not just for our clients, but service first for our agents. Of course. They come first, period. Yeah. There is no ifs, ands, or buttholes about it. Right. So, <laughs> sorry, it's my favorite saying. No <laughs> ifs, ands, or buttholes about it. But, That's hilarious. Uh, but, you know, I, I, it just, I, the adage of having a 16,000, 20,000, or no, you know, cap or no caps with low splits where you're paying. You know, I interviewed an agent, she's with a brokerage. Phenomenal, great agent. Loved working with her on one of our transactions. So I said, let's sit down. I want to talk to you. So I did a little investigation about their company has zero technology. Like they have a website that was created in 1999. Their agents don't have squat, nothing, right? 
they start at a 70-30 split. For what? <laughs> no, it gets better. I'm not done. For the first, I think, million, one to two million goes to 80-20, and anything over two million, or maybe three million, anyways, they get 90-10. And I'm like, I asked her, I was like, what? For what? You're paying a split for nothing, right? And she's still going to stay there because I don't have an office in her town. I'm like, okay, whatever. But I was like, what the hell? Well, that goes back to what I was just saying. The six, It doesn't matter if you have a split, uh, uh, the splits or you cap. If you're not providing anything, then why? You could pay for an office space like yours over there. I thought about it. I, but I think she wants an office to go into. And I said, well, how often do you own an office? She goes, maybe once every couple of months. I'm like, then what We do because um, <laughs> I actually traveled the world for a year and, and still worked. And what we did was we um, did Zoom every day. Yeah. And oh, it that's was because you saw my comment about the why do we need, you know, you have a phone, laptop, and cell phone. Why do you need yeah, it? Yeah, that why do you need it? I'm but like, like and that that worked so well because I was the type of person before I left, like I wanted to be in the space with you. Like yeah. I don't didn't like I thought working from home was stupid, like all this stuff. Like I wanted to be in the space. And then after doing that, I realized like it's the same. It's the same yeah. thing. No, it, it really still. is. It yeah. You know, we're all cloud based to a certain degree because of the way technology is now. You don't have to be in the office to work. I mean, really, why do you go to the office? I mean, I know why I go to the office. I socialize. Why, right. <laughs> Let's be honest with you. Hi, ID. So, like, I like to socialize. <laughs> I do too, but to a certain degree, I'm like, here's the A, here's the B, get the hell out. But, right, 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 you right, know, right. Um, that's also why I work with a ton of investors versus just individuals. But, um, but no, I, I I think you pay the old adage, uh, an absence of value is money, right? They're that old saying that everybody likes to use. Well, where's the value? Yeah, exactly. Why am I paying? Why would I pay 20, 30, $40,000 for what? What? Right. For what? And most of the time they're paying for the training, but, but we're not no getting it. I know. Look, I mean, there's no, there's I know no, we're the best training company in the world for what? Okay. Right. Then offer, offer all your training for free. Right. If I'm paying you $21,000. Why do I need to go pay extra more to get for coaching training. from maps or bold or whatever else other companies have? Why do I have to pay extra for it? I should, it's part of my cap. It's 21 grand. I should get Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting, yeah, dude, I don't know, but yeah. it's a hard, it's quite, not a question easily answered. No, it's definitely not. This is going to be like our longest podcast. I'm going to have to break it up Sorry. into so many sections. Only 35 <laughs> minutes long. So, <laughs> well, I really appreciate I you appreciate coming it. on Jason. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And of course, you know, you, you always see my banter and my comments. So yes, it's awesome. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Hey everybody. I'm here with Tressa Ellis. Hey, Tressa. Hey, Jennifer. Hi. And Tressa has her team called the Ellis Home Team. She's with Keller Williams and serves Cincinnati. Now, Tressa, we were talking about brokerages and if we think they're necessary or in what capacity they are. So what do you think? I think that they are necessary. I think we we need brokerages for some oversight. You know, real estate is one of those industries where we have a low, the bar of entry is really low. Yeah. And so I think there needs to be some oversight there. You know, I'm all for it. You mentioned like an apprentice type, apprenticeship type program, which I think we should actually have under our current broker structure. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying there's some things that couldn't change about the current bro- broker structure that we have, but I-, I do think that we do need that. Most your most typical agents are going to need that oversight. You're taking four classes that equal what four college credit hours each. Yeah, but um, what if the apprenticeship was more in depth? So instead of having it be because this other agent and I were talking about, like for his broker license, he has to get like 900 hours and a certain number of transactions and over a certain period of time. So what if the barrier to entry was raised and it also included like financial education, like learning how to run a business, how to do a PL, how to sell. And it took over a few years and then people came out and they actually had, they were then their own business. They held their own liability. They were the broker. I guess it would depend on that bar to me would have to be really high because I think that there's a great idea right now with if real estate agents were taking like here in Ohio, because I know different states are different, but it's all a lot, you know, most of it's similar. If they were taking the four classes that they need to take that, you know, we all joke about is what keeps you out of realtor jail. You need to know real estate laws and rules and regulations that that's important. And you need to know about acreages and meets and bounds and stuff. Yeah. You need to know about, you need to know about agency. You need to know about fiduciary responsibility. There are some of those things that they definitely need to know. And, but I do agree that, you know, the college classes that you take for real estate license do not prepare you for the overall business aspect of it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ins and outs. It doesn't teach you how to write a contract. Right. It doesn't teach you how to market a property. Like you said, run a business, a PL. It doesn't teach you how to sell. Doesn't teach you how to sell. I think that you need the, um, the same education that we have now and add an apprenticeship to it. Um, and you would have to do that either under a brokerage system or you would have to completely overhaul the entire real estate industry. But it, it's really crazy that the, with, you know, I, it's under the current system, there's no way that I would think that, you know, I mean, to be a broker, you have to have so many transactions, right? you know, so many hours in before you can get mm-hmm. that license. Whereas a real estate agent, you don't, you know, you're talking about people that are investing four weeks in real estate school and then going out and advising people on what will be the biggest purchase most people will make. I mean, that is insane. And that's the oversight you're talking about, right? Like, but I mean, are they really currently overseeing really anything or is it kind of just waiting until people get in trouble? Well, I mean, I don't know that, that really depends on each brokerage. That's true. one of the biggest things and the fastest things that will get agents in trouble is earnest money. And the broker's the one that's overseeing that. It, you know, it would be in what I've seen in my 25 years in the real estate industry, brokers get in trouble a lot for earnest money. So I can't imagine if you had, you know, thousands of real estate agents running around out there right. um, for things like that. Compliance, I would worry about because I am seeing a lot of deadlines, you know, not being taken seriously, things like that. So I just think that there needs to be. I mean, but part of that too, I think is like, I mean, you're right, but I, yeah, I just think part of it is because we're trying to protect the people that make a mistake. Whereas if we, and it's just like overprotection because you can never, we'll never get rid of lawyers. Like you can never mitigate the issue enough. Mm -hmm. Like you can never think Mm -hmm. of every type of situation that can ever possibly happen and put it in a contract. So if we can put all of that stuff up front as much as we can, so then we are at least maybe more in alignment on what common sense means, then maybe we won't have as much trouble on the back end. 
Uh, you know, possibly. I still think that even with that, there needs to be some oversight in right yeah, now. Yeah, you're probably the first, right. The first line of defense of oversight is your broker. Your second is your board of realtors. And, you know, that that's probably up for a whole other debate. <laughs> what if there was just... <laughs> that's a whole other show on what... It is know. another show. <laughs> but I guess when I'm thinking about, like, brokerages, I think about... What is their goal? I think it's different for each brokerage. What are most? I mean, I mean, most brokers' goals are to, you know, have agents that work under them and that provides them income. Right. They're running. They're running a business. Right. And their, you know, their inventory is real estate agents that are out there selling under their name. And they want the most inventory. Hmm. I don't think they necessarily look at it and say, what is the best inventory? They want the most. I, I, I honest, well, I mean, overall, on average, I would say that that is what a lot of brokerages are looking for. I do think that that depends on the individual broker. And sure. I mean, there are brokers out there that are, that are, you know, looking for, quality there's no broker out there that I know of that says hey we only want agents that have this much experience right or, da, da, da. I I've I, not really in all my I've years, not run into that either that. I've run more into like experienced agents like creating basically their own brokerage which yeah. in, in then you go into talking about okay well we have all these big we have tons of big teams like across the country yeah, so isn't that a brokerage teams. Huh? It's a brokerage within a brokerage, basically. I mean, they're they're not a broker. But why se. wouldn't they just be a broker? Liability. Liability is what a it's, lot of that boils down to. The there agents. is a little less, there is a little less headache for them. With they don't, you know, coming from I also, you know, one time in my career owned a real estate brokerage. Right. And, you know, there's a little bit more responsibility there as far as, you know, depending on if you have a bricks and mortar office, you know, you're, you're responsible for making sure that the lights stay on, um, you know, and then when it comes to compliance, you know, with agents, you're making sure that they're compliant, your license is on the line based on what your agents are doing, right? Um, the, you know, errors and admissions, the liability. So that's why a lot of people would prefer to just build a large team rather than actually be a broker themselves. Yeah. Because they don't because the way the current system is, they wouldn't have to hold that. They, they don't have to have that responsibility. They don't have to worry about earnest money who, you know, set up special trust accounts in the state of Ohio to hold earnest money and things like that. Their broker is taking care of those things. But that's why my, I mean, yeah, but see, I think that the earnest money should go to the title company anyway, and it should be wired when we were still accepting checks. It's ridiculous. I'm not accepting checks anymore. Our company, Keller Williams Advisors, isn't accepting checks. <laughs> I mean, if you want to write a check, you can. But, you know, we're now doing the ACH. I just had one today. That's I, good. You know, yeah, great that I don't have to. I'm super excited. I don't have to run around. That's so much better. Yeah. Earnest money. But, yeah, our clients can log on to a site. It's an ACH But it can be easily some transferred other companies, to title Some other companies. companies, local companies are doing that. There is absolutely no reason right now why real estate brokerages are not accepting electronic transfers, ACH withdrawals from checking accounts. There's just, there's no, there's several brokerages that are doing it. So there's just really no reason for that. Yeah, But if it all transfers to the title company, they have already checks and balances for money. It seems like it would be easier. 
They do. But honestly, uh, you know, some of the title companies, and it, and it varies across the country because, you know, in some places the title and escrow is split up. Here, title yeah. and escrow is together. I can tell you from my experiences that a lot of title companies in our area aren't super excited about holding earnest money. Mm. When I was working and I was asking, you know, with a company that I was asking the, the, the title company to hold the earnest money, the title company that I work with most frequently, they were cooperative and they agreed to do that. But they eventually set up a separate account because it was getting too confusing for them. What um, about the lender? The lender holding the earnest money? Yeah. Why would the seller, from a seller perspective, why would they want to let the buyer's lender hold the earnest money? I mean, in our state, the buyer chooses the title company too. They choose the title company. A lot of, most of the time, the seller chooses the title company. What about the seller holding it? <laughs> yeah, we're that's opening up a whole can of worms. Like, that would be terrible. Know. I mean, you know, it, it's terrible when the earnest money has to be returned. But honestly, yeah. the fastest and easiest way that I have found when earnest money does need to be returned um, to either the buyer or if it's going to get released to the seller is if one of the real estate brokerages Hold has it. that because there's some real oversight from the state of Ohio. Mm-hmm. on escrow accounts. So right. if a brokerage is not doing that in a timely manner, like you can read through those quarterly reports of what people are getting, you know, smacked on the hand or fined for or in trouble and earnest money comes up all the time. So there's already legislation in place and things that brokers have to follow, you know, to the letter of the law on that earnest money. I don't know so much you know, I don't know how exactly that works out for title companies and lenders. Yeah. Just- it just seems like some of the oversight stuff that that you that you're saying is the benefit of a brokerage can easily be put somewhere else. And it just concerns me that in general, the goals of the brokerage are not equal to those of the agents. Well, I don't. And let's the thing about technology and mm-hmm. systems. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's one of the reasons that, you know, a lot of agents join a franchise is right. education, the, technology, you know, the mm-hmm. economies of scale. If you're, you know, like for example, let's just say dot loop, that's one that you know a lot of us use. Brokerages work out deals to get dot loop a lot cheaper than you can as an individual. Yeah, but what if we had what if the mentor apprenticeship program was at the board or MLS level? the same, then it would even be greater. Well, is the board and the MLS goals aligned with the real estate agent? No, but neither is the broker. So all that would have to probably change too, right? Yeah. I, I think that, I think the broker's goals are aligned more than, you know, MLS and the board of realtors is solely for, for oversight. Um, and, you know, like I said, that's a whole other whole other podcast. But I think, <laughs> we'll do another one. You know, I think in the last 10 years, some of the decisions that have been made by boards and association on our behalf haven't necessarily benefited us as an industry. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's who I would want to be holding yeah. the oversight of individual agents. That's putting a lot of power in people's hands that maybe do not have the same goals. Mm-hmm. And is maybe and that's brokers. why we're seeing like the rise of those like big teams that are mini brokerages. And it seems like we're seeing a lot more people going out on their own and getting their broker's license too. It feels like, I don't know what the stats are. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know what the stats are. I I haven't seen a lot of it because like I said, 
for the most part, one of the great benefits that a brokerage does provide, especially mm-hmm. if it is a franchise, is the training and the technology, the economies of scale, the tools and systems. I mean, I can go out and get every single tool and system that I currently use that my broker provides or yeah. that any broker provides. But then I've got to manage that. You know, I've yeah. got to go and sign up and I've got to pay for it. The cost right. I'm going to get it for is different. So to me, that is one of the advantages of a broker is they're packaging that together and providing no are they going to provide every single thing that you need no. or want no because every agent's different everybody right. runs their, their business differently um but i think that that is a huge benefit to agents and if you know some agents take advantage of it some don't and it's kind of like a smorgasbord i mean for you know i i pick what i pick and choose what i and need choose. from my brokerage you know but i don't you still use get charged every single same. tool mm-hmm uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, it depends on, and right. every brokerage is different on what they're charging and commission splits and things like that. So you have to you know break all that down. But so your team, your team broker, because the education, the training, and the systems, and just the the buying power. Yes, <laughs> I am. I'm team. I'm team. Broker. I, I just I, I just can't be down with <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, just, you know. Your team, Monica, is all I hear. You're against me, Tressa. Uh, against me. <laughs> I'm just I'm just basing my, what I've seen of 25 years of being in the industry. Yeah. You know, I've been on the brokerage side. I've been on the real estate sales side. I've been on the title side. And it's just what I see. It's probably, you know, I think there's a lot of things we need to revamp, but I'm team <laughs> broker. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so You're much. Welcome. We hope you enjoyed diving deeper into this week's topic with our real estate heavyweights. If you're interested in becoming a featured heavyweight, please reach out through our toe-to-toe podcast Facebook page. 